This is Saster's Founders Favorite Series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines and robust set of tools to develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Find ways to cut costs using the total cost of ownership calculator and compare against AWS's pricing. Visit linode.com saster to learn more. Up today, what being a founder taught me about leadership. Lessons from GitHub's COO, Erica Brescia. Thank you all for joining me to talk about what I've learned in this most interesting year as I've transitioned from being a founder of a 75-person startup to being the chief operating officer of GitHub. Among many other things, what's been interesting is seeing how many of the leadership principles I embraced at Bitnami have carried through to my work at GitHub and how they've evolved to support our scale. And that's what I'm gonna discuss with you today. First, to give you a little bit of context on where I'm coming from, here's a bit of background. I was the co-founder and COO of a company called Bitnami, which we took through Y Combinator and mostly bootstrapped to 75 employees. We sold the company to VMware just over a year ago where the business and team are thriving. The team was globally distributed and that's still the case today. When Bitnami was acquired, I was incredibly honored to be able to take on the role of COO at GitHub, a company I've long admired and a space I've been deeply passionate about for over a decade to help lead us on our continuing journey to provide the best possible home for all developers. It was and still is my dream job, and I count my lucky stars to get to work with such amazing people on such an inspiring mission every day. It's also been quite a whirlwind, as on top of everything that we've had happening in the world in 2020, we've also doubled in size since I joined to over 2,300 employees spread all over the world. We've also significantly expanded our platform and business, so lots of change. It was an interesting adjustment from the Bitnami days, and we'll talk more about that as we dig in. Before I move on, I'll quickly note that I'm also on the board of directors of the Linux Foundation and an investor with X-Factor Ventures, a seed fund that invests in the next generation of companies pursuing billion-dollar opportunities founded by women. The learnings I covered today were not only gained through my experiences with Bitnami and GitHub, but also through these organizations. So, as you can imagine, a lot of folks have asked, what is it like going from building and overseeing Bitnami to being the COO of GitHub? People expect that different skill sets are required to found and build a startup versus running a larger company. And while that's true in some aspects, I found that a lot of what I learned in smaller organizations has served me extremely well as we've gone through such incredible growth at GitHub. Today, I'm gonna share six key principles that I believe are essential at any stage. So let's dive in. First, build a support staff early. Most founders are frugal and we want to lead by example. Every dollar counts and we typically want to make all of our investments in product development and spend as little as possible on everything else. That was certainly the case for me and I've seen this with so many other founders I've worked with over the years. But thinking that we should do everything ourselves can harm our ability to execute. I'm sure you're all aware of the often cited, it takes 23 minutes to refocus after being distracted. While the data point and associated study has a lot of nuance when applied to the real world, we can still use this as a baseline for time costs. 
There's a common misconception that 23 minutes is the time it takes just to refocus, but it's actually inclusive of completing the interrupt task and refocusing. This means that every task you're doing that's not actively building your business is distracting you from the work that truly adds to reaching your goals. Over time, you're getting further and further away from the work that matters. Many founders have guilt around delegating the tasks that they can do themselves to others or getting themselves support, such as via an office manager or executive assistant in the early days. It can feel indulgent and self-important, but time is our most precious commodity and we need to use it wisely. This is amplified in a larger organization. The single most important thing you can do is build and empower a great team to take more off your plate so you can continue to refocus on higher value activities like around your strategy and vision. So the rest of the business keeps going while you focus on those. So as a founder, how do you do that? I encourage you to start by hiring an office manager or EA. Virtually every founder I know spends way too much time on operational items such as scheduling, finding and maintaining office space, setting up payroll and other things that are necessary, but not what really adds value to the business. The thought of it might seem self-indulgent, I know, especially when you have so little to spend. But while developing my company and career, I've learned I can be a lot more productive by building out a support staff to the benefit of our employees and investors and also my family. And there are a lot of great virtual assistant services available now to help you balance cost with getting help. My husband runs a consulting practice and has a virtual EA through a service called Time Etc. that's worked extremely well for him and his assistant. As the scope and intensity of my role has grown over time, I've continued to build out my support network both at work and in my personal life. I think it's important that we speak openly about the help that some of us have rather than pretending that we do it all as it helps set healthier examples for others. And we'll talk more about health and well-being later. For each of these lessons, I've collected a set of actionable takeaways to highlight the key points we've covered. In this case, hiring an EA or office manager is a great place to start, but your support staff is more than that. And you should continue building out one both at work and in your personal lives as your responsibilities grow. Also, as you grow, closely evaluate how you spend your time. What activities are taking up the bulk of your time that you could find someone else to support? Is it administrative work, personal errands, or ordering supplies? Considering how growing your support staff can help you prioritize the tasks where you can add the most value. And speak openly about the support you're getting. You're successful because of your support staff, and it's valuable to let others around you see that. Let's support each other in setting realistic expectations by being honest that we don't necessarily do it all ourselves. Building a supporting team allowed me to invest myself in building Bitnami and now in leading GitHub effectively. And these three takeaways lead to my next point, which is that focus leads to deep thinking. Now that you've established your support staff, how do you invest the time you freed up to focus on building your business? Whether you're in an early stage startup or a much larger company, there will always be an incredible number of competing demands for your time and attention. At a startup, it might be a few things. As the company grows in size and complexity, this increases. To be an effective executive, you need to build and empower a team of folks that are better than you in most of these areas and that complement your own areas of expertise. We'll talk more about that later. The key here is that you need to continually find entire chunks of work to pass off so that you can free up your own time and focus for whatever you can do to add the most value to your business. 
This is typically long-term strategy work, recruiting the best possible team you can, ensuring that your teams are doing all the right work to achieve your short and long-term goals. And as with many other things, this can be easier said than done. I'm gonna take a moment to share an experience I had a couple of years ago. I was on a panel where a participant was asked to share the best piece of advice she had ever received. And she said, never say no to anything. Honestly, it's terrible advice. Saying no to most of what comes your way is key to maintaining control over your time and focus. I literally say no constantly, far more than I say yes, probably at least 90% of the time, and it's probably still not enough. You really need to get into the habit of asking what the highest leverage use of your time is and say no to virtually everything else. Mental and physical health counts here too, and we'll talk more about that later. But suffice it to say that you can't do your best work if you're not taking care of yourself mentally and physically. I'll also note that it's key that you make time for yourself to think deeply about the most important aspects of your business. I was in a chat with some founders recently and someone mentioned feeling guilty when they weren't producing something. This is super common and I'd say it's in the DNA of founders and lots of others as well. In other words, folks feel guilty for reading up on things like leadership or industry news or stepping away to think through a problem. You need to get over this. It's tough to really spend time on the right strategy or identify existential threats to your business if you're scheduled constantly or if you feel like you can't find time for your mind to breathe. This is just part of focus. You need to make time for the hard problems and the key areas where you can add the most value to the business, such as making key hiring decisions, putting the right organizational structures in place and building a growth environment for your team. This leads me to lesson number two, push decision-making down. Just like you need to rely on your team to take work on that you don't have time for, you also have to learn to rely on them to make decisions. In an early stage startup, everyone is so close to the decision-making that this is less important. As the founder of a growth company, you'll likely be the person with the most context on the business, and as a result, you'll tend to be involved in almost all decisions. But when you're larger, you can no longer know everything that's being shipped, so you need to shift from knowing everything to enabling others to make decisions. I'll admit that this has been an interesting adjustment for me. In the Bitnami days, I knew virtually everything that was happening across the business. At GitHub, we have so much going on at such high velocity that no one person can really stay on top of it. Given that, the most senior executives aren't always in the best place to recommend the best course of action on certain topics for the business. So what do you do? Teach yourself to delegate. Not only work, but decision-making. The people closest to the problem typically have the best information and perspective. Your 40,000 foot view is important to connect all the dots across the company. In fact, having this context across the various parts of your business is one of the most important roles of the CEO and COO. The trick is to effectively push that context down so others can make informed, intelligent decisions that are right for your business. You need to start this early if you want to avoid becoming a bottleneck when you grow, which will severely limit your company's ability to execute, and you need to do it in a consistent manner. At the outset of COVID-19, things were evolving very quickly on a global scale, and like most companies, we had to make a series of critical decisions for our business and our employees. We have offices and co-working spaces worldwide that had to close, eight active real estate projects to put on hold and redesign, over 2,000 employees working remotely, vendors who are important to our culture but could no longer come to our offices, customers who wanted assurance we'd continue to support them through the recession, 
and over 50 million developers collaborating on our platform who are dealing with crises of their own. If I had made every single one of the decisions on how to respond across every aspect of our business, it would have taken far too long to execute and our customers and employees would have been left wondering where we were and what we were doing. We could have been behind in the, the curve and scrambling to catch up. Instead, our leadership team made one important decision first, to activate our enterprise crisis management team for the first time. This is a group of senior leaders across each function that would make recommendations and often decisions on how to best respond across our business. This freed me up to focus on the strategic work that keeps our company operating while a dedicated group of folks made sure we acted quickly and decisively on behalf of our community and our teams. This team is still operating today and they report back to the senior leadership team with updates and recommendations on key items where executive approval is necessary and make key decisions on tactical items whenever possible. And that brings me to our next topic. The way you communicate changes a lot as you scale. At the earlier stages, relationships are close enough that this is easy, but this changes as your company grows. People have different perspectives from their different experiences in areas of the business. They have different priorities and different moments in time. They digest and understand information in dramatically different ways. Someone once told me, if you want folks to remember something, you have to tell them five times in five different ways. And I think that's a great way to think about it. In a larger company, communication may not be as straightforward, but the underlying principles of how to communicate remains the same. As a leader, you have to be thoughtful about what and when you communicate and the implication of those decisions. Everyone likes to talk about transparency and transparency is important, but one of the things that folks talk about less is the timing of that transparency and how communications are rolled out. One thing I've definitely learned is that what it means to be transparent changes as you scale. As you grow, you need to be more thoughtful about how information cascades throughout your org. This helps equip your leadership chain to respond appropriately themselves and be prepared to answer any key questions that come up. If managers have questions or concerns, it gives you time to make sure they're well-informed and bought into whatever you're rolling out. I think effective transparency has four key characteristics. First, your communication should be timely. You might have the right message, but if your timing is off and you share important information with your team too late, you can come across as reactive. On the flip side, if you start talking about early exploratory conversations you had about an acquisition too early, you can cause a huge amount of disruption, uncertainty, and speculation in your org that distracts the team from keeping the business moving forward. Second, your communication should be strategic. Always focus on the why. Explain why you're making this change, how it supports your strategy, and how it will help you and your team achieve your mission. Build out a communications plan to help build buy-in over time, rather than doing one-off communications every time where the points you're trying to make often get lost in the shuffle. For example, at GitHub, we're making some changes to our IT systems. At the start of this project, we shared with the company why we're making these changes and set expectations that there are things coming. We then have a series of updates coming out across multiple channels to help keep people posted in advance of the changes being rolled out and with clear instructions on where to go with questions. And this brings me to the third point. Your communication should be shareable. What I mean by this is that the messaging should be clear and easy to follow without room for misinterpretation or guesswork. It should also be as concise as possible. As your team grows, consider communicating using different channels. Remember the rule five I mentioned earlier and leverage your management structure to cascade information. 
For us at GitHub, this means making use of our internal content sharing platform, as well as Slack and highlighting important messages and weekly news updates, as well as covering them in our all hands. We also make sure that people know where to go with questions or for help. In the case of our IT changes, we're using our discussions feature so others can see Q&A coming in, which may answer questions for other folks in the company. Fourth and finally, your communication should be actionable. If you're expecting your team to react in a certain way or follow a specific set of actions, make sure that it's abundantly clear. If there's a way for them to contribute, make sure that's clear as well. Let your team know how the information you share with them will impact them, what asks you have of them, and how they can contribute. This could be keeping an eye out for further information, setting time aside in their calendars for training, or providing feedback on an important topic. I'll share one example of where this concept of cascading timely and strategic communications became especially important. And it was when Bitnami was being acquired by VMware. When you're a founder going through an acquisition, you're often thrilled and can't wait to share the news with everyone. Your team trusts you and you've always been honest and forthcoming with information. So it feels wrong to hold something like this back. But you need to step back and think about what's truly best for the business and the team. There's a lot that can derail an acquisition and a ton of uncertainty at first. How will folks' jobs evolve, for example? So it's best to keep the discussion within the smallest group of folks possible so you don't disrupt the business and create unnecessary stress and uncertainty for your team while you're working through the details. Responsible transparency is sharing the information at the right time with the right strategy, a clear shareable message, and a thoughtful action plan. And now that I've been on both sides, I've learned that this is as important when you're the acquiring company as when you're being acquired. Since I joined GitHub a year ago, the company has nearly doubled in size. As we scale, there are changes we need to make to support our larger team and larger user base. And when we make those changes, whether it's to our benefits package, our international expansion strategy, our org structure, we follow these same principles. Be transparent about the changes in a way that's timely, strategic, shareable, and actionable. This usually means cascading information outward to our extended leadership team and our people managers, and then downward throughout the organization, relying on those folks to share that information with their teams. By having some clear principles for what, how, and when to communicate, and acknowledging that as you grow, you rely on others to communicate, you can create a culture of thoughtful and diligent communication that will help minimize disruption and stress in the business and keep folks focused on the right things while plans are still being ironed out. Okay, so now we've talked about hiring great folks. Let's move on to my sixth and final point. And that's how you build an environment where these people can grow and flourish. I have to admit, this talk was originally only five lessons when I was scheduled to give it back in March. But when I went back to refresh it for today, I had to add a sixth point. Because while this is something that's always been important to me and important in leadership, the last six months have made it very clear that it's something that needs to be talked about more. Once you've hired great people, you need to prioritize supporting their greatness by creating an environment where they see clearly how their work contributes to the company's success, where everyone feels like they belong, and where people can continue to grow and develop their skills. People who don't feel supported or valued, who are burned out, who don't feel a sense of belonging or are working in conditions that are not good for their mental or physical health cannot do the best work for your company, and they're more likely to leave. Worse than that, they may stay and impact the morale and performance of the rest of the team. 
At many companies, COVID highlighted problems that already existed. We're living through a period of extremely high levels of stress and trauma and lower levels of productivity and mental health, with 88% of employees experiencing moderate to extreme stress since the pandemic started, according to Gartner. First and foremost, taking care of your team is the right thing to do. But in addition to that, it's also in the best business interest of your company to ensure that teams feel valued, supported, and cared for, even when we're not in a pandemic. You don't have to just take my word for it. According to a study by McKenzie, supporting the physical and mental health of employees can result in a 45% increase in engagement and a 21% improvement in work effectiveness. So how do we create the best conditions for growth for our employees and in turn for our companies? Once you've made all these great hiring decisions, no matter what stage, you need to create an environment where people can thrive. At GitHub, we talk about building an environment where people can do the best work of their lives. There's so much to this, but I'll highlight a few key areas. First, purpose. Everyone wants to feel like their work matters. People need to be able to trace a line from the work they're doing to the company's success. Regardless of company size, this means it's critically important to make sure that everybody understands the company's mission and goals, and that the company level goals are supported by those in each function. At GitHub, we use the OKR model for this, and we have company, functional, and team level OKRs that are all designed to fit together. This also helps leaders at all companies draw a line from the work from each person is doing to the company's progress. It's incredibly important that you build discipline around this and that folks are regularly looking at the OKRs and seeing and measuring their progress towards them and then connecting that back to the work that the company is doing. This also helps set clear expectations with employees around what they're expected to achieve and makes it easier to give clear and actionable feedback when folks aren't hitting the mark. A clear set of measurable goals that help everyone understand how their work will move the business forward helps create the right environment for professional growth and also ensures everyone is doing the most important work for the business at any particular point in time. The second piece is belonging. Now more than ever, it's critical that people feel a sense of belonging, both on their teams and at your company. Ensuring folks feel connected to the company's mission is a piece of this, but it of course goes well beyond that. Building a sense of belonging requires building a truly inclusive culture where all people are welcome, supported, and treated equally. At GitHub, we seek to ensure that a range of diverse voices and viewpoints are heard, represented, and incorporated into our work. We invest in supporting our communities of belonging, or affinity and ERGs, as well as create and nurture a range of ways employees can connect with one another. This might be through our extremely active cooking and personal finance channels, and oh my gosh, there are some people at GitHub who can cook, to providing opportunities for people to come together remotely to enjoy musical performances, participate in trivia games, or even uh, play on a Minecraft server together. The most successful products are built by companies that create environments where diverse perspectives, personalities, and interests can flourish and where everyone feels like they belong. Building this foundation of belonging creates an environment where folks are set up for success, both for themselves and for your business. The third area I'll highlight is wellness, both physical and mental. Wellness has deteriorated across the world and particularly in the US in 2020 in light of COVID and so many other tragic events. According to a recent Qualtrics survey, over 44% of employees working from home have reported stress during the 
pandemic. While we can't solve all these problems for employees, stepping up in this area is not only the right thing to do, but it's good for business as well, as I mentioned previously. So what are some of the things we can do to support physical and mental wellness? Of course, there are a number of benefits you can provide from gym stipends to thorough insurance coverage for mental and physical health. But beyond these, offering flexible work arrangements such as supporting remote work or allowing people to work part-time or reduce schedules, uh, building a culture around asynchronous work, funding home office setups, scheduling no meeting days. There are a lot of things you can do to bring flexibility to folks. This is especially helpful these days as so many people are juggling child or other care responsibilities on top of work. And it helps you recruit exceptional folks that might not otherwise be able to take on jobs where they don't have enough flexibility. And this can lead to a huge competitive advantage in building an amazing team. Each of these, combined with great leadership, coaching, stretch opportunities, and everything else that full books have been built about, are critical to building an environment where employees can really grow and thrive. I know I've covered a lot of ground above, but that's because this is such an incredibly important topic. And I'll leave you with this, an amazing team in an environment that helps build out the best in folks, where they have the right information at the right time and are empowered to make decisions when they're closest to the work, frees you up to focus your own time on the greatest opportunities for your business. While this is certainly easier said than done, it's what separates the good from the great and sets you up to move successfully onwards and upwards. Linode's Linux Virtual Machines offer industry-leading price performance. Don't believe us? Use our total cost of ownership calculator to receive a total cost breakdown, technical recommendations, and see how much you can save compared to the hyperscalers. Visit linode.com saster to learn more.